I'm Tyler Crawley. And I'm Taylor Griffin. And this is Access of Reason. I will say it seems as if a recession could be on the horizon. And the big question in Washington is, is it close or is it far away? And that's what we're going to be discussing this week on Access of Reason. I, of course, am one of your hosts, Tyler Crawley. With me, as always, Taylor Griffin. Taylor, what's up, man? Nothing much, Tyler, except for potentially a recession. We're joined today by Neil Irwin, an old friend who is the chief economic correspondent at the New York Times and also author of several fascinating books. One, The Alchemist, which is the definitive history of central bankers' response to the financial crisis. And more recently, How to Win in a Winner Take All World. And speaking of winning, Neil, it doesn't <laughs> look like Trump is winning this trade war with China. And you write last week in the New York Times that there's a chance this could be the inflection point this trade war with China going wrong that tips us over into a recession. Neil, welcome. Thanks for having me. So, Neil, what do you think the signs are right now, the chances of a recession as you see it? So what you can't look at is how the economy is doing right now. If you look at the contemporary data, where the where the numbers are in the last few months, they look pretty solid. The job, job market is great. Uh, industrial sector is still growing, even though it's growing a little slower. GDP is, is good. All those things are doing fine. I think the question is what happens when you look forward a little bit and you look at some of these forward-looking indicators, you see more reason to worry. And most recently, we've seen a real shift in global bond markets. And uh, that's really signaling that uh, global investors, the, the investors who put trillions of dollars on the line, they see evidence that there's going to be a real slowdown in the months ahead, interest rate cuts by the Federal Reserve, that this is about to, to turn a little nasty. So, Neil, when you talk about bond markets, one of the things that's been on everyone's mind recently, or everyone who pays close attention to this, I should <laughs> say, is the inverted yield curve that we saw recently. And inverted yield curve, for people who don't understand this, is basically when the yields on long-term U.S. government debt falls below the yields for short-term U.S. government debt. And that's kind of weird because you'd expect people to want to pay more money to hold money longer. And when those, when those yields go lower, it's a very good sign that there could be a recession on the in the horizon, right, Neil? Why, why is that? Well, I think it starts with this trade war, as you as you mentioned earlier. Uh, what keeps happening as this thing escalates, uh, it becomes you know it's not just there's one off, there's a tariff on this or that. It's cumulative. Uh, these keep being layered on top of each other, and it seems to be getting potentially to a point of no return and a point where uh, you know if you're a, a big company, you're trying to decide where to build factories, whether to hire people, where to invest, whether to invest. Uh, you're not sure you're ready to do it right now because there's this kind of cloud hanging over the, the economic outlook. And that can become self-fulfilling. So if lots of companies all at the same time say, I'm not ready to hire and invest, that can actually fuel the recession that, that everybody fears. And that's why it's so dangerous what we're seeing right now. A recession can start with a small thing that then expands into flipping the economy as a whole. We saw before the financial crisis, it was the housing market. It triggered a recession across the economy. And what you argue in your article is that if we have another recession, it could be this trade war and that impact on business confidence. And we've seen some of that in the numbers, right? Business investment, which should be pretty good considering the tax bill that was passed at the end of 2017 to encourage business investment 
you would expect business investment to be pretty solid, but it was actually negative last quarter, right? Yeah. And I think what we see over and over in recessions, it has some starting point, but that starting point has to be multiplied somehow. Uh, you mentioned the 07 experience with housing. I would also mention 2001. Do you remember there was a dot-com crash, uh, the stock fell? Uh, that alone probably wasn't going to be enough to create a recession. Uh, in fact, the 2001 recession was pretty mild. It took the uh, September 11th terrorist attacks and it took a, you know, the corporate governance councils, Enron and WorldCom, all of that, uh, that really caused a freeze up in the, in the economy that led that episode to be classified as a recession. The same is true here. The trade war in and of itself probably doesn't need to cause a, a U.S. recession. But if that causes this business pullback, if that causes some defaults, if that causes consumers to pull back, that's how we could end up in a really bad spot. Well, Leah, let me, I want to ask you a question about um, the Fed, because you, know, you got to ask the question because the president is saying it's not the trade war. You know, Peter Navarro is saying it's not the trade war. Uh, the, the argument from the White House is that this is the Fed's problem. I don't think many people believe that. But is there anything to the argument that the Fed error at the end of last year raising rates and the fact that they're now obviously talking about lowering rates? Does that play any part in all in possibly slowing growth? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, I think there is reason to think that the Federal Reserve raised rates too much in 2018. They uh, went up a full 100 basis points or, you know, four, uh, a full percentage point. Um, and, and if you look at what's happened since then, it's consistent with what would happen if, if you thought the central bank had raised rates too much to tighten the money supply. You know, one thing we've seen over the last decade, really, is that if the, if the U.S., if, if the United States Federal Reserve raises rates too much above where things are in Europe, Japan, uh, that can really cause problems in the global economy. We seem to be having a repeat of that. At the same time, it's kind of rich of the, of the president to suggest that, you know, this economy that he says is so great and so booming can't even handle 2% interest rates. You know, it's a little, uh, I mean, like historically, <laughs> these are still quite low, even if you think they maybe erred a little bit to suggest that uh, any bad thing that happens is their fault seems a little uh, over the top. Well, and, and this is the big concern, at least at least in my opinion, I want to get your take on this, is that let's say the Fed lowers interest rates. Let's say they you know go back to quantitative easing, which we've heard the president even advocate for that. Let's say we get the payroll tax reduction. We get the capital gains changing, indexing to uh, inflation. We do all of those things. As you know, we, we've pointed out, you know, recession possibly is on the horizon. All many of those things would do is, is maybe delay it. How devastating would it be if Basically, we had no tools available. If we eventually go into recession, the Fed can't do anything. We can't cut taxes. How, how problematic would that be for a recession if we ended up getting there? Yeah, that's, you know, that's what makes me nervous is that on the surface, this, if this does become a recession, it ought to be a mild one. I think there's plenty of reason to think this could be more like 2001 than 2008. Uh, on the other hand, I, I will say, you know, in 2001, the, the federal funds rate, the Fed's main target interest rate going into that was like six, six and a half percent. They had a lot of room to, to stimulate. Um, deficits were very low. Right now, they're very high. So, so, you know, what I worry about is not that there's some, uh, you know, really horrible abyss like we had in 2008. I am, though, worried that, that if we have a mild downturn, the kind of government tools that can help cushion the blow are really not in good position to help. So this morning, the president of the United States spent a good amount of time alternately trying to claim that the signs of economic softening were all fake news and then blaming the Federal Reserve for any sort of economic slowdown that might occur. How unusual is it for a president to be actively attacking the chairman of the Federal Reserve as he's been doing with Jerome Powell? 
I mean, it's it's very unusual. Uh, you know, so in the last few administrations in Obama, George W. Bush and Bill Clinton, uh, they not just publicly, but even privately were quite respectful, kept their distance, um, allowed the, the Fed to kind of do their thing independently. The judgment in those administrations was it's actually more productive to let them, uh, you know, not, to not try and, and uh, needle them and, and push them. Uh, before that, if you go back to George H.W. Bush, Ronald Reagan, certainly Richard Nixon, you saw some more overt pressure. Uh, Paul Volcker was the president, was the Fed chairman in the in the 80s, uh, told a story in his recent memoir about uh, Ronald Reagan called him into the White House and uh, he and the chief of staff, uh, I believe it was Jim Baker, sat there and Reagan didn't say a word, but Baker privately tried to persuade him to cut interest rates. And um, that kind of private, quiet pressure has existed for a long time, uh, though not in recent administrations. What's so unusual is Trump doesn't do anything quietly. He does it through tweets. He does it on TV. Um, and, you know, the, the irony is this is the institution he's counting on to try and make sure the economy doesn't go into recession. And it seems like he's undermining their credibility in a very public way, which is just a strange way to operate. And credibility of the Fed is important because the markets look to what the Fed is planning on doing as a guide for how to uh, price commodities and stocks and that kind of thing. What and and so if if the if the Fed becomes mixed up in a political calculus, that can throw some chaos into markets as well, right? Yeah. And I mean, imagine if you're Jay Powell, the, the Fed chair, and he's sitting there. I mean, I, I, I've covered him over the years. He's a he's a straight shooter. You know, he's a very cerebral, thoughtful, uh, hardworking guy. He just wants to do the right thing. Uh, and it, even if he decides the right thing is to cut interest rates a lot, it now undermines his credibility in doing that because the president's so openly lobbying for that. And so there's plenty of people in markets, and I hear from them every day, saying, oh, they're just cutting rates to make the president happy to do what Trump asks for. Um, so in that sense, it's actually has made the job harder uh, by having this kind of voice out of the White House coming there every day. Is there a chance that the Fed might decide, uh, you know what, we're not going to cut rates because we no. want to make sure that we make clear that we are independent? I mean, they, they try not to do that. They, they, you know, there's a real culture in that organization of trying to look at the data, do the right thing, not let uh, Trump, you know, political noise push them one way or the other. At the same time, they're human. And, you know, if somebody's uh, attacking you, saying you have to do X, uh, does that make you a little less, a little more reluctant to do X? I, I think there's a real possibility of that uh, at the margins in a kind of uh, unconscious way uh, being in effect. And that's and that's counterproductive. That's not really what you want to happen. And uh, now Go ahead, Tyler. I just I just yeah, I just wanted to ask you about, you know, we talked about confidence in the Federal Reserve and, and the value of that in the global economy. Um, currency is something else the president has talked about. And, you know, we've even heard arguments that we should try and devalue our dollar. Um, if you could talk just a little bit about, cause there obviously are problems with the dollar being, you know, devalued, but there are also problems with the dollar maybe being worth too much and that can, um, wreak havoc on the economy. Um, is there any argument that, that, that our dollar is, is rising too much and that can, that can be somewhat problematic for the economy? You know, it, uh, maybe, maybe somewhat, but the, the real thing is though, the reason the dollar is strong it's not so much about dollar strength, it's about other currencies' weakness. And what's happening right now is uh, China and the other Asian economies are faltering. Uh, the European economy is in really rough shape. Britain's a mess. Uh, Germany's a mess. Um, so the euro, the pound, the uh, Japanese currency, uh, Chinese currency, they're all falling. Um, and so that creates dollar strength. Uh, you know, we're kind of the strongest economy among the major uh, major advanced economies. That should be a good thing. Um, it's really hard to, to come up with a scenario where you can uh, avoid dollar strengthening while also keeping the U.S. economy strong. Obviously, a lot of people have the president's ear. It seems like the person who probably has it the most is Peter Navarro. I know I 
not like one single economist agrees with any of the theories that he has. Is there anyone that Wall Street or other economists, you know, um, have confidence in that has the president's ear, like maybe Larry Kudlow a little bit more than Peter Navarro? Or is there a big concern out there that everyone that's giving the president advice on economic decisions is not really sort of respected? Or I should say they don't believe in a lot of the theories that they argue about. I mean, I think look, the president takes advice from a lot of people. He even apart from people on the White House staff, he's. Uh, apparently on the phone every night with with different you know CEOs and old business associates and um, people who have opinions. Um, I, I think what's unusual about this administration is not just the weakness of any individual. And as you say, Navarro is is kind of in a different ballpark from um, most kind of economic policy people. It's it's that uh, there's no policy process, right? I mean, think about just the last few days. This thing around a payroll tax holiday, an idea that's kind of floated as a way the administration could, could pursue fiscal stimulus. Um, you know, we're getting completely mixed signals on whether this is even on the table. President himself yesterday he said it was. Today he said it wasn't. Um, you know, it's just hard to have any kind of coherent policy process when everything is driven by you know one guy who you know the president of the United States who uh, changes his mind on a regular basis and doesn't really trust people around him to develop a coherent policy. Neil, thank you for joining us. Neil's new book is How to Win in a Winner Take All World: A Definitive Guide to Adapting and Succeeding in High Performance Careers. Thanks so much for joining us, Neil. Thanks, guys. It was a lot of fun. Well, that's all the time we have for Axis of Reason this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this podcast, don't forget to hit that subscribe button in the Apple Podcast app or Google Play or wherever you hear us. And also pick up a copy of Neil Irwin's new book, How to Win. You can get that on Amazon or wherever books are sold. For Tyler Crowley, I'm Taylor Griffin. We'll talk to you again next week. Next week.